I'm turning to read the Word of God now in the New Testament, in uh, the Gospel according to Matthew and in chapter number 6. And we're beginning a reading at verse 19. Matthew chapter 6 and at verse 19. And this is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount given by uh, the Lord Jesus to his disciples. Matthew 6 at verse 19. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, or you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now mind this God's word, we trust that we will bless to us that reading from it. Now I'm going to turn to praise God from Psalm number 107. Again it's saying Psalms, it's on page 145. Psalm 107, in the middle of verse 26. On page 145. At this their courage fled away, for danger was in view. They reeled and staggered as with drink. They knew not what to do. From the middle of verse 26 to uh, the verse marked 32 to God's praise. At this their courage
to the first letter of Peter and chapter 1 and we're going to read at verse 3. First Peter chapter 1 from verse 3 to verse 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power have been guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so on. So we continue to enter in on our study of First Peter, and we're doing so under the general theme of the Christian's faithfulness to Christ in a hostile world. And as we read through this letter, we see that it was Peter's own purpose in writing the letter that through the grace of God that they would stand firm in the faith. And as we notice from the beginning of the letter once more, they they are elect exiles who are scattered in these places across Asia Minor, a place that is today uh, called Turkey. And their real sense of consciousness was that they were exiles, that they were in a strange place and that they were in a place to which they didn't feel that they belonged. And because they found themselves feeling as if they were in a strange place, there was doubt and confusion in their minds regarding who they were and regarding God himself. And there was the real temptation to perhaps abandon their faith because they felt that they were forgotten by God and perhaps forgotten by the wider Church of Christ as well. And when we come into this section, the writer wants to to lay hold of their hearts by getting them to think of the very essence of their being. And once they come to understand that, the confusion will be gone, the doubts will be removed, and they will understand that despite where they are, they have a true identity and life in the presence of God. And by by doing so, he creates for himself a captive audience so that what he is going to say after this and the ways in which he is going to challenge them, they will know that he is doing that recognizing that they are the children of God and that he has love for them as surely as God does. And this section runs from verse 3 to verse 12. It's one of the longest sentences in the Bible, but it is the introduction proper to the letter as Peter begins by encouraging them to praise God, who is the God and Father of 
our Lord Jesus Christ. And so today from these verses we want to think and to show and to give a heavenly perspective in a hopeless world. We want to see first of all that there is a reconnection. If I am lost out there and feeling disconnected from everything that is meaningful and anything that, that helps me in my well-being, then the first thing I need is to be reconnected with the things that are truly valuable and meaningful. And that's exactly what Peter does here. He connects them to their very origin and the way in which that origin is by the power of God and because of the love of God. And he brings them to focus on the way in which this God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He has caused them to be born again. He has given them a new birth. In actual fact, the words, the word that Peter uses, it speaks more of conception than of birth. It goes right back to their very origin, to where their life began. And Peter wants them to understand that their life began as a creative act from the hand of God by his power and because of his own purpose for them. They are born again. And we know that this, as soon as we are born again, or as soon as we are born naturally, there is total newness. We come into the environment which is this world. We begin to breathe its air. We begin, as we grow, to, to take note of our surroundings. New birth and birth itself throws us into a completely new environment. And here they are in this dispersion across these different areas, feeling as if they don't belong. And Peter wants them to understand that that in itself and that consciousness in itself is because of the way in which God has brought them into being, made them his own children, and sent them in to the world in which they live. And for ourselves today, as we reflect on who we are, as we reflect on this heavenly perspective of life, we are brought to consider our own life in this world in the light of this creative act of God, an experience through life, having life and living in the world, and coming to this point in time where we're born again. You must be born again, says Jesus. You must be born from above. And he wants them not just to, to, to capture that, but he wants to connect their experience with the passion of the Son of God, of the Lord Jesus. He caused them to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. They have no life apart from Jesus. 
They have no life apart from his resurrection. And through the purposes of God, and through the willing action of God, that takes effect because Jesus, the Son of God, has finished the work that the Father has given him to do. God comes to to raise the Lord Jesus from the dead. And Paul tells us in Romans 6, for example, that Jesus, who died for our sins, is raised from the dead, and death has no more dominion over him. The life that he now lives, he lives to God. The power with which Jesus was raised from the dead creates a new creation, creates a new environment, creates a new way of living, and it's the kind of environment and the new way of living that they have to embrace in their scattering across Asia Minor. Born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so today, God doesn't want us to see just ourselves as the children of God. That's vitally important. But he wants us to recognize that that identity is rooted in the passion of the Lord Jesus, in his saving work and in his resurrection power. We are not children apart from that. It's impossible to be children apart from the resurrection of Jesus. And today, all the children of God have the life of God in their hearts. They have the identity that God is their Father, and they have that because of their relationship with the risen, glorified, ascended Son of God who triumphed over death and sin and the grave. And when they, and when you and I, feel that death has dominion, feel that sin does have dominion, feel that our world is hopeless, that everything closes in upon us and, and shuts the light out, God wants, wanted them to know and he wants us to know what our true identity is and what the essence of a living is. And to understand that this life is in you and is in me, despite what we see in ourselves, despite what we see in our world, and despite every way in which our environment would tend to dictate otherwise, that nothing can break us or break us away from this living relationship. And he wants to go a step further, if it was possible. Is it possible to go further than the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? He goes right back to the kind of God who is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God did this according to his great mercy. We saw last week that he had worked in verse 2 according to his plan. It was something that moved down from his purposes. But here the according to is according to his character. According to the very nature of God. Why did God bring them to a living hope through the new birth? 
It's because of his great mercy. And when I look back in the Bible and go and see what the mercy of God means, I come to the way in which God made his name known to Moses in Exodus chapter 34. And he reminded Moses that he is the God who is abundant in steadfast love and mercy and in truth, keeping mercy for thousands. That's his name. Why is that significant? It's significant because the preview or the pretext to that is that the people of God had sinned against God, the unpardonable sin in a sense, they had created a golden calf. And God said to Moses, I cannot go up with this people because if I go up with them, I will destroy them. My holy nature will find expression and they will be destroyed. I cannot go with them. And Moses prayed and said, don't let us go up here unless you go with us. And God said, my presence will go with you. And he said, I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. It's significant because the mercy of God arises or is discovered in the context of a place where the wrath of God demands that the sinner is destroyed. And that's the, the remarkable thing today. And of course, there's no one we can go to find where that is true. But in the cross of the Jesus, by his power we are new children. There's no one we can go but to go and see. In the cross of Jesus Christ, God changing from saying, I cannot go with you, otherwise I will destroy you. My presence will go with you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will be merciful to whom I will be merciful. According to his abundant mercy. Christians in Asia Minor remember that because of the determination of the loving heart of God through his plan to save our people, because of that, you are feeling the way that you are in the strange world in which you find yourselves as the children of God. The reconnection. And today we're looking for God to do that for you and for me. To take us from where we are and to help us to to get the links in this chain and to anchor our experience right back in the heart of God and in his mercy and through the person and work of his son in his death and resurrection so that today we cannot say that God has forgotten us. So that tomorrow, no, no matter what happens, we cannot say that in the midst of the confusion, God has forgotten us, reconnected with who they were as the people of God, a heavenly perspective in a hopeless world. Secondly, in the light of that, there is 
a realignment. It's about turning people around. It's about setting them up along the signposts that God has given to his people in the world and to live their lives realigned to that. It's a, a new orientation. And, and there are two things to this orientation as we read these verses. First of all, there is to a living hope. Hope is such a wonderful thing. It is, of course, very subjective. But it comes from what's outside of ourselves. We hear and read of so many sad stories of hopelessness in the world in which we live around us in our newspapers, in our news bulletins. People shut in so much to where they are at that nothing penetrates. And the more that God is excluded from the thinking, the more nothing will ever penetrate. But the hope that the gospel speaks of is something that, that is based on what's outside of ourselves that comes to inform us where we are and that with that information changes the way that we see life and changes our whole outlook on life and gives us a new direction. It realigns us with the very thing that has given us hope. And of course in the Bible the our hope is based on the very promises of God. And the more we learn about the promises of God and what God has purpose to do for his people, the more we learn that, the more our tendency to descend into a sense of having no hope, the more that will be reduced and reduced and the more it will have no place in our lives because of the way in which our minds are open to the very word of God. And it is a living hope. Contrasted to the hopes of the world. But it is a living hope, especially because the hope itself is defined by the life of the Lord Jesus. He is the one who was dead. He is the one who is alive. He is the one who has everlasting life. He is the ever-living Lord Jesus Christ. And because he is ever-living, so is our hope also. And if he lives with an indestructible life, which he does, then our hope is so living that it has that indestructible life to it. A living hope. A hope that is based on the Bible, on the Word of God. What Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 1, all of the promises of God are yes. Where? In Christ Jesus. The Christ Jesus in, in, in his resurrection, my identity of the child of God is rooted. That Christ Jesus, every promise that God has spoken is declared yes for you and embraced by me as the child of God in the person of the Son of God to our living
how that changes things. And it will only change things according to the way in which we understand the life of the Lord Jesus in our souls, the life of the Lord Jesus that is the very essence of our salvation and of us being the children of God until we realize that, that it is Christ in us, the hope of glory, that everything is in him. When we have that, our lives are realigned with the word of God. And so often in life when we lose sight of of our hope in God, we lose our interest in the very place where the promises of God are spoken so clearly. Our interest in our Bible reading will soon begin to wane and to wither away. And through that very withering away, our situation is only getting worse. And the very enemy of our soul takes delight in the way in which we turn more and more away from the word of God. Without realizing that it is only coming back to the the treasure chest of the promises of God in the word of God that we are going to find the very hope the window, the light that's going to change us where we are. How we need that living hope ourselves and how our world needs it as well. The environment in which we live and the people of the day in which we live, how as society we need something of this heavenly perspective and hope. And as soon as there is that realignment with the word of God, there's the realignment with the inheritance of the people of God. We see through the very promises that are all ours in the person of the Son of God, we see in them, in verse number four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you to an inheritance in the Old Testament it was the the promised land of Canaan I will give this land to your offspring to to your seed says God to, to Abraham and that was the focus of their whole way of life and their living they were looking for that promise to be fulfilled to to cross over the River Jordan and to find the promised land allotted to them. It was the horizon under which they lived their lives until they got there. And we know, of course, that it turned out to be very different when they got there because of their own behavior. But the inheritance was the land. And once they got over the River Jordan, God told Joshua, allot the land to the tribes. We come into the New Testament and, of course, we're not looking at the inheritance which is any country or any part of this world. But in the words of Paul with regard to to Abraham, God made him an heir of the world. 
And Pete himself speaks of the new heavens and the new earth, which, which will come at the end of time when Christ will return. There is that inheritance kept in heaven for you. God is of my inheritance, says the psalmist in Psalm number 16. The Lord has fallen to me in a beautiful place. We are, says Paul, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. All of God, or all that God has done is our inheritance. And we wait to the full enjoyment of it because it is protected where it is. And it is so unlike anything that there is in this world. And as one of the commenters said, it's easier to say what this inheritance is not than to try and explain what it is. It's hidden, it's a mystery, it's waiting to be revealed, but it is certainly undefined. It is certainly imperishable. It is certainly unfading. It's a permanent inheritance that has all the hallmarks of the design of God and of the preparation and provision of God. And when we read, as we did in Matthew chapter 6, of the way in which Jesus, speaking to Peter and all the disciples, telling them about what it was to, to have a treasure. Do not lay up treasures for yourselves on earth, he says, where moth and rust will destroy. We can spend so much time on things that just vanish away. No satisfaction that is lasting. Momentary glimpse of, of the pleasure they give to us and then they vanish away. But seek for yourselves treasures in heaven where the moth and the rust will not destroy the realignment. Today how different life from now on will be if we're aligned with the word of God and aligned with the inheritance, which is the glory that God has prepared for his people, a different life will be from this moment onwards. And finally, if there is reconnection and realignment, there is a final word of reassurance who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. God's power, his ability to achieve what he has purpose to do, what he is in himself and all of his eternal power, Paul speaks in Ephesians 1 of, of the, the great might that God displayed when he raised Jesus from the dead in accordance with that same power. And with that power, you are being guarded through faith. That assurance of God's protection 
In Psalm 105, the psalmist is hearing the word of God and the word of God which says, Do not touch any of my anointed ones. No one can touch the people of God. Yes, they will suffer. Yes, there will be things that happen that happen to them in life from time to time. But they are guarded on every step of their journey from where they are to the enjoyment of the inheritance, which here becomes a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so often we have the tendency to think of salvation as already here. When most of the references in the New Testament are to a salvation that is not yet, but a salvation that will be revealed in the last time, in the days, in the day of the return of the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, into this world. And that salvation itself is, is the, the deliverance of God. It's the final stretching out to, of God to, to those who are his children to deliver them from a world of hostility and to bring them into his own gracious, glorious presence. It's ready. It's Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. He will come again so that where he is, his people will be there also. It's ready to be revealed when he comes. And today, the challenge for you and for me is to know our own readiness, to know our own identity, to understand who we are, and in understanding all of that, to, to have our minds so focused on all that God has prepared for us, that he will bring us safely from here to there without any danger. And why today should you and I fear for what life may have in front of us if we have the assurance of, of this hope of glory in our hearts then we know the one who has already saved us is today guarding us and will bring us safely into that haven, into that, that harbour where the storm will be changed into a calm. And then we will see more fully and know more fully. But today, the challenge for all of us is to have this heavenly perspective in a world where we have the tendency to lose our hope and to be encouraged in the gospel and in the promises that God has given to us in his word. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful to you for the riches of your truth, for the great mercy with which you are saving your people, and for the assurance that we have that the day will come when, after guiding us through life, you will bring us safely into your glorious presence and give to us faith in your name today. Give it to us to be fearless in our world and give to us to be focused upon 
and the revelation of your glory and the manifestation of the glory of the children of God at the return of your Son. So hear our prayer and accept our thanks for Jesus' sake. Amen. So now I'm going to close by singing in Psalm number 33 in the Scottish Psalter on page 246. Psalm 33 at verse number 18. Behold on those that do him fear, the Lord doth set his eye, even those who on his mercy do with confidence rely. From verse 18 to the end of the psalm to God's praise. Stand for the benediction. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all now and forevermore. Amen.